This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to just um, speak to you this morning about our series Next. We are on our fourth and final week of Next. We've been talking for the last four weeks about different things. The attitude that Next is, the the attitude uh, of Next really is an attitude of faith. We're saying things like, I'm moving forward. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm crossing over. We have defined the next level and how God takes us through stages and, and uses different things to help us to put our faith in Him and our trust in Him. So we literally can use our faith to pursue things and allow God to do things and unfold things at his pace, not our pace. And uh, we have also, last week we talked about generations and how God wants to use every generation uh, as a tool for him. And whether you're young or whether you're old or whether you're in between or whether you think you're young or think you're old, God wants to use you right where you're at. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what you've gone through in life. God wants to use you. And so this morning, I want to actually talk to you about um, our next in reaching those that live next door. So our next that God gives to us is usually never really just for us. He gives us our next so that we can be an instrument and a vehicle for him to use us for someone else's next. And so this morning, I just want to give you an update on our Colton language, as we call it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Cameron mentioned Colton is five years old. He'll be six on Tuesday, and he has next language all inside of him. And so a couple of weeks ago, Cameron had shared how he had talked about from a Bernstein Bears little story. Somehow he turned that into, we need to crush evil, and Satan is under our feet, and, and God wants to use us, his church, and his people to just bring his glory to the earth. You know, that came out of Bernstein Bears. I don't know quite how, but, uh, but we thought that's cute, and that's, that's Colton language, as we now call it. Uh, but I want to give you an update, because little Colton is on a roll. And so this is, this is the text I received from his mom this week. Are you ready? Driving home from skating last night, Colton asked for his sixth or seventh juju. I said, sorry, buddy, that's enough. It's late, and they're pure sugar. Colton says, actually, that's okay, Mom. I don't want any more. I said, oh, really? Um, Yeah, too much sugar will give me a bellyache and not make me run fast. Hey, that's it. Do you know why God can't destroy all the evil? Because that's a big job, I said. Maybe. But yes, so you've got to put good things into your body, like healthy stuff and not candy, like helping people and having good manners. If everyone does that for 20 days or something, then evil will be destroyed. (laughs) I'm not exactly... (laughs) I'm not exactly sure how we went from jujubes to destroying evil in 20 days, but his mind is always turning. And please tell me jujubes are not evil. <laughs> so so that's, uh, that's Colton language. But you know, there's something inside of him that's very inspiring. Because Colton doesn't just think about himself. He thinks about the world out there. He thinks about people that need good news. He thinks about how evil is affecting our world and how we as Christians can actually be part of destroying the works of the enemy so that people can see the works and the glory of God. That's the next kind of language we're talking about. And so um, I apologize ahead of time. I may get a little bit excited today. And so you get to put up with my excited side. Cameron gets to put up with it all the time. So you guys only get it every now and then. Um, But I want to stir us up this morning to realize that there's something greater. There's something bigger that's outside of ourselves. We don't live just for ourselves. We live because God has placed within each and every one of us a treasure, a deposit, if you will, of what he can do, not just in you and and to you, but through you, so that you can be an instrument for God to show people Jesus. Because it's not just about us. So there's three things that I want to touch on this morning uh, that we need to remember when we are trying to reach those that are next door. We need to remember the priority. We need to remember the purpose, and we need to remember the person. So first of all, I want to talk about remembering the priority. See, we oftentimes, how many of you know that we tend to think about me, myself, and I, right? 
Okay, no one else does that. That's really embarrassing. Okay, um, so, you know, sometimes humans have this tendency to live for themselves. But what God is saying with this whole next and coming to the next level, seeing the next thing, seeing those who are next door, we need to remember the priority, that his priority is for humans to reconnect with God. And we get to be part of that awesome uh, plan that he has on earth. And I'm telling you, I am excited to live in our days. We have so many opportunities in so many ways to literally spread the good news that there is a God who loves, there's a God who cares. And we can spread them not just in our own little bubble, but in our community and in our city, in our country, and into the world. Because there is a world out there that is hurting. There is a world out there that is discouraged. There is a world out there that is lost. And they are just waiting for someone like you and like me to come into their world and tell them that there is a God who cares and who loves them. And so I thought about this. When we get to heaven one day, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have an awesome eternity-long worship session. It's like deeper on a whole new level, right? And we get to just do deeper all night long, and except there's no night, so we just do it all day long and then all day and all, you know. And, and we get to... And then we get to have food. It says that we're going to have food in heaven. That's awesome. It's like the pastor's potluck, uh, family feast. Like, it's awesome. Shepherd's pie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. That was a... Wow. That was awesome. Um, but there's one thing that we cannot do in eternity. We cannot tell someone about Jesus Christ. And I think if there's one regret that all of us may have when we get there is why did I not tell more people about this awesome family called the body of Christ? So I want to stir us up this morning to realize that you have a story to tell. You have a message. You have something. You have a deposit inside of you that wants to come out because God wants to use you, not your neighbor. God wants to use you to spread his light to those that are around you. I'm going to read a verse to you from Galatians chapter uh, 6 verse 9. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. If we don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Now turn to your second choice. (laughs) and tell them don't give up I feel the love in this place (laughs) awesome so but what this verse is saying how many of you have ever felt discouraged and felt like giving up yeah that's right you know we go through life and sometimes things just don't go the way we think and sometimes we feel like even in our efforts to share Jesus with someone they seem to not be hearing it maybe you have a friend maybe you have a family member maybe you have a co-worker and all you want is for them to see Jesus and you're like is it ever gonna happen but what God is saying in this verse is he's saying don't give up don't stop showing him Jesus because in due time you will reap a blessing if you do not give up. I had a friend growing up, and man, she was anti-God, anti-church, anti-most things, actually. Uh, but <laughs> she, she was a great person. We connected. We had horses together, so we saw each other every day, and we became best friends. But man, I'm like, God, I don't know what you're going to do to reach this girl, but um, I don't know if it's going to happen. And, but then I thought, I, I just kept thinking, don't give up on her, don't give up on her. And lo and behold, years into our relationship, there was one day where literally she, she had an epiphany. And she said, you know, for all these years, I've mocked you. I've made fun of you. Not, we were good friends, but when it came to church and God, she was not nice. Um, and she's like, I'm just realizing that was kind of mean. <laughs> like, well, just a wee bit, but that's okay. I still love you. And, uh, you know, one day we were literally just, I, I was, I uh, come to visit her from out of town. So I was sleeping over and, and I was just about, you know, ready to go to bed and curl up on, on my pillow and I'm ready to go off to sleep. And she goes, can I talk to you about something? And I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> she goes, uh, all these years, I've been, I've been nasty to you when it comes to God. And you have just kept displaying the love of Jesus towards me. So can I have him too? And I'm like, 
what? <laughs> I was like, I was just going to go off to sleep. Like, I actually, I have to be completely honest, and I thought she was joking. Like, I thought she actually was being sarcastic. So I kind of went, well, ha, ha, good night. And she goes, no, but I really mean it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay then. Well, then that's awesome. Let's pray together. And, uh, and it was awesome. She had a life-transforming experience that night that has changed the history of her life. She went literally from darkness to light. She went from despair to hope. And her family now, she met a wonderful man. They're, they're, um, they're serving in a church together. And now their lineage has been changed because she made a choice. She made a decision to turn from darkness to light. You know, I think of the families we have in our church. I think of a little Alani. Before her daddy ever came, Lindsay came to church, and she found hope. She found Jesus. And then Lindsay starts bringing Alani. Alani starts coming, and she starts shouting about Jesus in our house. Did she not? And she's standing at the window every night going, God is good! And they're like, what, what are you doing? She's like, everyone needs to know. Did she not? So finally, Ryan, who also had been quite critical of our church and thinking, what are you doing? We, we'll try not to take it personally. But, you know, Ryan goes, you know what? Maybe I'll go check out what, that, what she's talking about. And he comes in, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to criticize. He comes in, and guess what happens? The presence of God hits the guy, and he goes, whoa! And uh, if you see him now, but I'm telling you today that history in their family has been changed. History has been changed. Alani gets to grow up to know Jesus and have her in her heart. And now she's on a different path. She doesn't have to struggle through life anymore. She can start off her little life with Jesus in her heart. History changes when you decide that Jesus is the answer. See, we get so concerned about, well, people may not want to know. People want to know. They do. They really do want to know. They want to know that there's more out there. They want to know that you don't have to die. Think of Eric. You know, Eric could have died that day when he came into the hospital and they did open heart surgery on him. But he is here because there is a God who is alive. There's a God who is miraculous. <laughs> Renee Barnes. Renee Barnes is another example. He should have died that Sunday morning when they got up and they were just minding their own business, wanting to go to church, and he drops on the floor. And they said he shouldn't have made it by God. By God, we came and we said, let's take authority over that thing. Let's pray in faith. And as a church family, we said, let's pray that we are going to believe that God is going to take this thing and turn it around. And the doctor standing amazed going, we don't know what happened. And we say, we do. And Lori's like, I know. Because we have a God who's miraculous. Brian, Brian shouldn't have made it. Brian went from just feeling a little oozy and thinking maybe I have the flu to being literally on his deathbed. He shouldn't have made it. But there's a God who came in and said, I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to miraculously turn it around because there's a message inside of Brian that he needs to tell to someone else. There's a message inside of Eric, inside of Renee, that they can say, but God came through for me. He changed my life. He took me from a point where I was going to die. I was facing death. And now I'm here. And you're here because there's a message to tell. We serve a miraculous God. None of that was in my notes, so now I have to figure out where I am. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but if I can say this, we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. We know the now from the now. And that's our problem, because we see the here and now. So there's a story in Genesis chapter 37 of a man named Joseph. Uh, some of you may have heard of him, but to recap his story, basically he was one of 12 brothers. His daddy liked him more than others. That's never happened in anyone else's family, I know. Um, he bought him a special coat with many colors. It was very pretty. And so one day when he went out to meet his brothers in the field, they literally took him, threw him in a pit. Uh, how many know he was not having a good day? Um, right? And they, they threw him in a pit. They left him there. They're like, we want to kill him, but we probably shouldn't kill him. So what are we going to do? Oh, look, there's a slave caravan. Awesome. Let's sell him. So his bad day went even worse. And now he went from the pit to becoming a slave. But you know, there is something inside of Joseph that said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to just do my best. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to do whatever I can to do the best that I can with whatever I'm given. So if I'm a slave, I'm going to be a good slave. Like, talk about a good attitude. Most of us would be pouty cam, right? <laughs> we introduced, that was not my, my saying. He came up with it all on his own. Uh, but mo most of us would put on a good pout. God, this is unfair and unjust, right? 
So, so Joseph goes from being a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he's accused of something he didn't do, and now he's thrown into prison. Hello. How many think that he was enjoying these moments of glorious promotions? Right? So now he finds himself in prison for a crime he did not commit. And you know what he could have done in that moment? He could have sat down and talked to all the other prisoners about, you know what, that Potiphar, he is just so unfair. He doesn't even listen to both sides of the story. He should have listened to my side of the story. You know, he could have sat down and had this pout, pouting party, and I'm sure he would have had many followers and many people that would have talked to him. But, you know, sometimes when we get in a pit or in a prison, the worst thing we can do is to talk to others about how miserable it is and how depressing it is and how unfair it is and how hard it is because, you know what, they know all about darkness. You don't need to inform them about how bad things are. They know. What they're looking for in you is that there is something in Joseph. He had Colton language like way before Colton was around. And he's like, you know what? I may be in a pit. I may be in a prison. I may be a slave. I may be falsely accused, but I'm going to do my best. And you know what happened? Someone took notice. When he was in the prison, they're like, we're going to make you the guard of all the prisoners. Hello? Why? Because he had something in him that said, my God will come through for me. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know in what way. But I know that my God is faithful. He did not give up. He didn't give up. But in the midst of his hardships, God was actually teaching him, shaping him, and forming his character. So he's in this prison now. And there's a baker and a butler that are there with him. They both have a dream. And guess what they do? They start talking to each other. They're like, this is so depressing. Now we had a dream. We're miserable to start with. Now we had a dream, and we don't know what it means. So this is, I mean, life is just awful. And you know what's happening? Joseph is listening to them talk. And all of a sudden, he says, guess what, guys? There is someone up there that can tell you what that dream means. You're not just randomly left here to die, but there's a God that actually cares enough about you to give you a dream so that he can speak to you about what it is that he wants to do in you. Now, one got a better dream than the other, but that's a whole other sermon. Um, But the truth is that God spoke right into their situation. And so they are released from prison, and guess who gets left behind? Joseph. Can I tell you that um, I often call the the pit, or the prison, but the pit, I often call it preacher in training. Uh, Because in the pit, preacher in training, you learn a whole lot of things about yourself about your perseverance, about who God is. And oftentimes, God will allow those things to come in our lives, to form us, shape us, and help us to put our trust in him. Because how many know Joseph could not put his trust in the circumstance? He had to put his hope and his trust in God. And then one day, in the blink of an eye, because he had shared this awesome God language to these people, one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And they're all frantically going, what does this mean? We don't know what's going on. And why is he having these dreams? And then all of a sudden, there's a butler that says, wait a minute, there's someone that speaks a different language. There's someone that has hope in the midst of confusion when you don't know what's going on. I know somebody, he's, he's oh, right, I was supposed to tell you about him, Pharaoh. <laughs> oh, so his name is Joseph. And in one day, it says they literally took him from prison. They said they washed his clothes, they shaved him. Can you imagine what he would have looked like? Ugh. Um, but they took him, and they made him presentable. And they said, now go and deliver your message from Pharaoh. So Pharaoh looks at him, and he says, tell me what the dream means. I've heard that you can do it. And he goes, no, I can't. I'm like, that, probably not a good thing to say to Pharaoh who could chop your head off right there. Um, sorry, that was PG. But, um, but in that moment, he says, I can't, but there's a God who can. And he literally delivers God mes- God's message to this ruler who not only takes that to heart, but he actually says, well, I kind of need someone to do all that for me. Do you want to be the second in command under, under me? And so from one day, think of it, one day, Joseph is elevated from prison to the palace, but that's not the best part. We think of that as the best part, but why did God do that? God took him from the prison to the palace, not just so that he could feel good and have nice clothes. God did that because through Joseph, 
God not only saved Joseph's family and Pharaoh's household, he saved all of Egypt from the coming famine. And then he also delivered food and all this stuff to the nations around him. So because there was one guy in one pit and in one prison that would not give up, would not turn bitter, but he decided to make something better out of it. And because there was one guy that said, God, you have my heart no matter what. God used him to save the nations. Can I say that you have something inside of you? And if you just allow God to use you, who knows? You could be sitting in here with strategies for how to globally evangelize to, to thousands of people, but it starts right here and right now. God, am I willing to share the good news to those around me? Maybe you feel like you're in a place of obscurity and no one notices you or no one's listening to you. Maybe you've been believing for a friend, a coworker, your relative, or whoever. But let me tell you, they're listening. may not look like it, like my friend. Well, it didn't look like she was listening, but she was listening. And you know what? Someone needs to hear what you have to say. It wasn't just about what God could do to him. It was what God would do through him. And can I say it this way? Your response to what happens to you can set other people free. I want to read to you a passage from Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 22 to 34. It says, this is Paul and Silas. So to give you the background, they've preached about Jesus. Uh, people didn't like it. Well, the people liked it, but the leaders didn't like it. So now they've been captured and taken. Um, so we jump into the story here. It says, the crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. How many know they're having a bad day? That's, that's a bad day, just so you know. Um, after they had been severely flogged, now it's getting worse by the moment, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, can you imagine this? You were out there telling people about Jesus, doing the right thing, right? And all of a sudden, now you're in a prison cell, chained up. You're bleeding, you're beat, you're tired. You're, you're in pain, severe pain, and no one's coming around with a little ointment, putting it on you. It's dark. It's probably smelly. You're discouraged. Most of us at that point would have started pouting. Do you agree? But look at what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners... We're listening to them. In this moment, it's a bad moment. It's a terrible, it's a bad day. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? They're, they're sitting here going, I say, go ahead, girlfriend. Um, but they're having a really, really bad day. And here they are, but I, I can just see them. Hey, hey, Silas, yeah. You're thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. Yeah, want, want, to, do some, want to do some prayer? Want to do some worship? Yeah. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Guess what happened? They're sitting there singing. And it says right here, the other prisoners were listening. They're speaking a different language. There is something inside of them that I don't have. How can they be praying? How can they be singing? How can they be praising a God that they were serving and now they're in prison? Why? Because there is a hope inside of them. And they cannot help but to share the good news about Jesus. And as they're singing, as they're praising, this is an awesome deeper night. Like I'm telling you, they're having their deeper moment that is like so awesome. And so they're sitting here and they're praying and they're praising. And all of a sudden it says that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And literally things start shaking and they're like, whoa, there is power. <laughs> Woo, in the name of, whoa, wow, yeah, there is power, wow. And the other prisoners are like, whoa, what's going on? Can you imagine that moment? Like we read that little story and we're like, oh, that was nice. Their chains fell off. That's awesome. Think about it. They're sitting there, and they're declaring Jesus, whom they were in prison for. And in the midst of this, there is an earthquake. And I said this morning, a very unusual earthquake, because it was very localized to their chains. <laughs> and all of a sudden, their chains just went poof, and they came off. 
But I want you to notice what happened in this story. It says, everyone's chains came loose. Can I say this morning that when you choose to praise, when you choose to pray, when you choose to hold on to your hope, when you choose to believe that there is a God that in the midst of my circumstance that comes through from me, he is going to use you to set other people free. And because of their choice, the other prisoners were all set free. That is a good day. And then it goes on and it gets better. Like just that in itself, I would have been totally fine with that. Right? And then let's see what happened. Where am I? Suddenly a violent earthquake, that, uh, there was this violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought they had escaped. That's a miracle too. I'm telling you, if my chains fell off, I'd be out of there. Like, hello, are we being real? I would have ran for my life. But Paul and Silas knew, no, we're not done yet. God's not done in here. He wants to do something more. We're going to stay. Because somebody needs to hear about the God who can break every chain. Not just the chains that we're shackled in, but the chains of darkness, the chains of sickness, the chains of depression, the chains of hopelessness. We serve a God who is greater. That's why they stayed. You need to know that you carry the hope of heaven on the inside of you. And there is someone that's in chains. And they may not even know it. But when you start praising, when you start singing, when you start praying, when you start declaring the wondrous works of our God in the midst of your circumstance, not when everything's perfect. It's easy to praise when everything's perfect. But I'm telling you right now, when you make a choice that I can praise God in the midst of my circumstance, they'll listen. And they go, that's a different language. I haven't heard that before. Look what happens. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's saying, I want what you have. <laughs> what do I need to do to do that? Because whoever's on your side, I want to be on his side. If you know what I'm saying. And they said, let me tell you, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And they start sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I feel like I need to tell somebody here this morning that you need to not give up on your household. I feel like you need to hear this morning that God wants to bring your household into faith in Jesus Christ. Do not give up. Do not grow weary. Keep standing in faith. Keep believing because God wants to bring your household into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. What an awesome day. <laughs> Didn't look like it at first, but man, what a good day. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I'm telling you right now, when you come to believe in God, you are filled with joy. You are filled with peace. It doesn't mean that you escape all the circumstances of life, but it does mean that you have hope within you when they do come. And that's what other people need to see and need to hear. Remember the priority. Can I say it this way? God cares about people. He cares about people. The priority is relationship. See, so many times we do stuff that's just empty. But Jesus says, remember the priority. Priority is relationship. When we moved to the city of Kingston, I called Limestone Dis District School Board when we first moved, and I moved here, and I said, um, listen, I'm, I'm from a church. We're just about to start off our church, and we just want to know what school would be in need of potential help or assistance or whatever. And they said, Rideau Heights Public School, hands down. So I said, okay, good to know. So a few years ago, I walked in to the office of Rita Heights, and I couldn't even remember all this until my, my friend, Jolene, told me uh, what had happened, because <laughs> I couldn't remember. Uh, but I walked into the office that day, and the secretary, Nancy, was there, and I introduced myself, and I said, oh, I was just wondering if I could talk to um, the principal. And, you know, I can only imagine they're like, 
sure, you know, what do you want, right? And so she goes, oh, she's busy. And she was busy. She, she, was, she is legitimately always busy because she is an awesome person that cares for everybody. So she's always busy. Um, and so she was in, in some kind of appointment. And so the secretary had said, oh, you know, you may want to come back another day. And I said, oh, that's, I, I don't remember this. But apparently I said, oh, no, that's okay. I can wait. So she's like, ah, oh, can't get rid of the lady, right? So, so I waited, and I waited, and she said, oh, it looks like she's going to be busy for a while, so you may want to leave, please. And so I said, that's, apparently, I said, that's okay, I've got till 5 o'clock. <laughs> so so, uh, so um, the principal, her name is Jolene, said, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll see this lady. Right? So I come in, I can't remember much of what we spoke about that day, other than the fact that I said something along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm from a church and we just want to help. Well, for those of you who have been around for a while, you know that over the years, we have formed an awesome partnership with Ritter Heights Public School and we do, uh, we do several things in their community and we've gotten to know the awesome people, the teachers, the kids uh, there. But what I didn't know is that in this moment that I showed up, Jolene Knowles, who has now become a dear friend of mine, had just lost her dad. And she was in a place of darkness, anger. And I have her permission to share this. I didn't know. I was just the blonde lady that <laughs> wouldn't go away. <laughs> you know? And what happened from that moment on is we started building relationship. And we just showed up. I kept coming. I, she knows. I make all sorts of excuses to come see her. I'm like, oh, I, I just bought some extra hats and mittens. Can I come drop them off? And there she is. <laughs> and, and then we do our outreaches. Um, we do all these different things. But I always find some kind of reason to come. Oh, I, have, I bought some peanut butter. Can I come drop it off? <laughs> I have a snowsuit. Can I come drop it off? And so, you know, they started seeing me more and more. But you know what? To me, it was never about a project. And she knows that. It was never about just doing something. It's about the person. The priority is the people, the relationships. Even the kids now that I walk in, they're like, oh, what's she bringing now? It's awesome. I love it. I was actually at the park with my kids in the summer one day, and this girl comes running up, throws her arms around. She's like, you're the hair lady. You're the hair lady. I'm like, I'm what? She's like, you cut my hair. Not I, but she remembered me as the person who organized this thing, and, and she got her first real haircut at a back-to-school bash. And she lit up because she walked in with hair looking like this. And she walked out looking like a princess. And to her, it did something. And so I'm at just minding my own business at a park. And here I have this girl around my neck going, you're the hair lady. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because it's about the people. It's about relationship. It's not about a project. So fast forward to last summer. We did this extreme makeover. Basically, in a nutshell, we took their yucky library. Um, it was yucky. I'm sorry. It was really yucky. And uh, we turned it into a high-tech resource center. And Jolene had to be there as the principal. She, she was there through the summer just to supervise the project and be present. First of all, gave it an opportunity to finish off uh, a project she had been wanting to do for years, in whom she acknowledged, by the way, that it's all because of God that she could do this project. And her supervisor was like, where did God come into the picture? She goes, well, I had a good summer. <laughs> right? <laughs> But I want each of you to know, and I think I can confidently say this, for those of you who are there this summer, who sacrificed of your time and talent through the summer, I want you to know that your story made a difference. As you came in there and loved on that community, and as you had random conversations with Jolene, something started happening on the inside of her heart. And we're no longer just co-laborers and... You know, we're no longer just, okay, we do these projects together. Jolene is now a friend, and she's sitting right here in the house of God. Because there's a God who cares. It's about relationship. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You care for people genuinely, and they will see that you have inside of you Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Don't be afraid to be Jesus to someone. Don't be afraid to be that person that just never gives up. Yeah. 
Don't be afraid to be a little relentless. You know what? God is relentless about us. God pursues us. God doesn't give up on us. Do you know that God dreams about your future before you, don't, you even know what it is? God is sitting here dreaming about your future right now, about what you can do, about what you can be, about who you can reach. He's dreaming about it right now, and he's relentless. But it's not just about you. He's dreaming about the people around you, the people that you will touch, the people that you will witness to, the people that you will help. And when we tap into his heart, my heart's cry is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I walk into Rideau Heights Public School, and every time I do, my heart's just stirring for these kids. And I see them. I see beyond the circumstance. I see these kids, and they have an awesome principle. You know what? She cares about them. She loves them, and they know it. Amen. She went away last, last week for one, two days, and she came back on Monday. They're like, where were you? We missed you. She's like, I, I, I was gone for two days at a conference. They're like, don't ever leave again, because she carries something inside of her. It's genuine, and they know it. It's about the people. Remember the, number two, remember the purpose. See, when Jesus was getting ready to leave this earth, he gathered his disciples together. And you know last words are very important. If you know you're going away somewhere, you want to give some, some fundamental good last words. In our household, when we're going away for a trip, it goes something like this. Children, come here. We want to talk to you before we leave. Don't sit on your sister. Don't pull their hair. <laughs> Be good. Mind your manners, and above all things, listen to your grandma. <laughs> right? I'm sure you have similar conversations with your kids. No, our kids are awesome. They're angelic at all times. Not, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> they're good kids, but they are kids. But what Jesus was doing is saying, come, come. I'm going to tell you something. It's really important. And in Matthew 28, and I'm going to paraphrase it, it literally says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So he wasn't saying, I'm taking all the authority to heaven now. But he's saying, on heaven and on earth. And now he's saying, go, I'm sending you to be my spokesperson. I'm passing the baton to you because I'm leaving. I have to go away for a while, like a few thousand years. I have to go away, and now I'm leaving you in charge to take the message of Jesus Christ, to take the message of hope, to take the light of the world, and go out and be little Jesuses. Do you know that Christ means anointed one? Anointed one, which means that Christian means little anointed ones. So that's who we are. We're just a replica of Jesus that need to live like Jesus and love like Jesus to the world around us because then we see that there's people out there that are just longing to see that there's something more. We have good news. How many of you know we live in a world of bad news? There's bad news all the time, everywhere. You don't need to go looking for it. But we carry inside of us a seed, a deposit of the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is hope in the midst of darkness, that there is, there is something beyond their circumstance. We can say, like Joseph, I don't even know why I'm here. See, some of us feel like just because we still are in a, a season where we feel like we're in a pit, we can't share anything or we can't do anything. But can I tell you this? You can't always control getting into a pit. But you can control what you do when you're there. And that's the next language. That's the, the language that says, so I may be here. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm facing this circumstance. I don't know why I have to face cancer. I don't know why I have to sit through this. But God, I know that you are my hope. You are my anchor in the storm. It doesn't mean just because we're Christians that the storm won't come. It just means that we have an anchor holding us steady when it does. And that anchor is called Jesus Christ. And so when we realize that we're sitting on those news, we can't, like the apostles said, we can't help but to share Jesus. Even when they told them and beat them and chained them, trying to make them not talk about Jesus, they said, sorry, I just can't help it. It just comes out of me. Matthew 10, 7 says in the message version, go to the lost, the confused people, right here in the neighborhood, right where you live. Go, if you're on the east end, go to the people there. Go to your grocery store. Go to the bank lady. Go into your sphere of influence, your place of employment, your school, and be Jesus to someone. Because can I tell you, we are so apologetic sometimes about sharing Jesus, but they want to know. They do want to know. We think they don't. But I have talked to person after person after person after person that just said, finally someone told me that there's a hope beyond what I was seeing. 
I believe that we as a church and every church that calls on the name of Jesus, we are a rescue mission. We are called to be people that go out there when people are hurting, broken, lost, confused, and we're supposed to go rescue them. If I can say it like this, I refuse to let this rescue mission ever become a yacht club. Let me explain myself. Do you know what a yacht club originally was? A yacht club originally was a group of men with big boats that came together and said, we want to be a rescue mission. That's actually the original meaning of a yacht club. It's people that gathered their boats and they said, we're going to be a rescue mission. So if there's someone out there in the midst of the high sea that has trouble, someone fell overboard, or their, their boat is going astray, or they've lost their course, we are going to be the ones that jump in our boats and that go out there and rescue those who are drowning. That was the original intent and purpose of a yacht club. But over the years, they forgot their purpose. They forgot what they were there for. And they turned into this fancy little entertainment club where people are just busy entertaining themselves and chatting all to each other, eating nice, I don't know what they eat. I don't know. That's kind of speculate, but I don't know. Caviar. <laughs> I'm probably completely ignorant. But anyhow, <laughs> whatever they eat. But you know what? Yacht clubs were never meant to be boats that were docked up. They were not meant to sit in the dock while their, their owners are busy entertaining themselves and each other. And can I say this? The church can never become a yacht club. We can never forget our purpose. We can never forget our mission. We can never forget why God put us on this earth. It is not so that we can dock up our boat and sit and talk to each other about how good we are and how good we have it. But we are called to be a rescue mission. And when people are out there drowning in the waves of depression and confusion and sickness and disease and hopelessness, we're supposed to jump in our boats and go out there and reach those people because we have the message we have the answer we have peace in the midst of their storm as they're drowning we can say don't despair there's someone called jesus and i'm here to lift you out of your circumstance and tell you that there's hope beyond this you don't have to stay in this you don't have to battle cancer on your own there's a family around you that are going to stand in faith and believe until that cancer is broken charlotte's here today because there's people that were praying and believing and saying, don't give up, Charlotte. We're supposed to be a rescue mission. And can I say this? When we go out to rescue people, we may get a little wet. It's not always pretty. It's not always safe. But there's a God who goes with you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So no matter where he sends you, he's going to give you the tools that you need in order to whatever it is that you need to throw out some kind of floating device. Or maybe you need to jump in there and go swimming after them and drag them to shore and say, I've got you. You may feel like no one cares about you, but I've got you. I heard your call of distress, and I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who spoke to me to come to you, to drag you out of that misery and tell you that there is a God that loves you, and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Tell me that there's not people out there that want to hear. See, in Acts chapter 2, was the moment that the Holy Spirit came into the disciples. So they're gathered in this place, and all of a sudden, literally, this weird thing starts happening, and this wind comes, and, and all of a sudden, flames of fire come on their heads, and, and, and all of a sudden, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is they start speaking in other languages, and they start just, I mean, they're like, That was Swedish. That was Swedish, except they didn't know Swedish, but they spoke it anyways. So they start to, I, I just told you that God is a marvelous God and he can do great things in Swedish. That's what they heard. And guess what? There was a Swede sitting in the back corner going, wait a minute, I'm hearing it in my language. What's going on? Those are Jews. They don't speak Swedish. They didn't speak Swedish, but work with me. Um, <laughs> it says that they spoke different languages. And it says that people were gathered from all over the world, and all of a sudden they're going, I'm hearing it. 
I'm hearing it in my language. Can I say to you this day, God gave us the Holy Spirit not so that we could have goosebumps or feel good about ourselves or have a little moment of woohoo. God gave us the Holy Spirit to fill us with the boldness to declare the mighty works of Jesus to those around us that need to hear it. It goes something like this. I was lost, but now I'm found. But God came through for me. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it in my language. I was lost. I was lost. Are, are you saying that when you're lost, you can actually find something? I struggled with sickness. I struggled with disease. I thought I was going to die. But God, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it in my language. I have a circumstance like that. You're telling me I can get through it? I was struggling with my finances. I thought I couldn't pay my next bill. But God, but God came through for me. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it in my language. God is saying that you are called to speak your testimony in a language that they can understand because they need to hear what you have to say. Don't just wait for someone else to go and tell them. Your circumstance, your experience matters. Maybe you need to share your story about depression. I was depressed. I was down. I was in utter darkness. But God, there's someone out there that goes, they're speaking my language. I know all about depression. I know all about despair. And you're telling me that there's someone that can help me out of that? Yes! That's Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, inside of each and every one of us. Speak their language. I want to read a quote to you, wherever it is. There it is. Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. Confusion here is vital. I'm going to read it one more thing. Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. Confusion here is fatal. We need to speak a language that they understand. My third thing is this. Remember the person. Remember the person. Life is full of divine appointments. Life is full of divine appointments, moments that God wants to use you to talk to somebody else. For Sean this week, he was in a business meeting, felt this urge to leave early, ended up in Starbucks. And guess what? There was someone there that was struggling. There was someone there that had gone through an awful circumstance. And Sean, it was a friend of his, who starts talking to him. He's going, Sean, you're speaking my language. You're understanding my, my fear. My, you're understanding my despair. But you're telling me there's something beyond this. And Sean Binkley this week sat in Starbucks boldly telling him that there's a hope beyond what he's seeing. And boldly in the middle of Starbucks prayed for this guy, non-Christian, and said there's a hope. God has divine appointments for you and for me. I went this December, I went to Dollarama to buy candy canes for, for uh, Hands of Hope. And long story short, over to some simple candy canes, the cashier and I get talking. Her name is Sarah. And Sarah goes, wow, you really like candy canes. And I said, they're not all for me. It's all for my kids. No, I didn't say that. Um, but, <laughs> but I basically said, no, it's for the... And I start telling her about Hands of Hope. And guess what she says? You're speaking my language. I need to hear all about hope. I need connection. I need to know that there's someone else out there. I'm all alone here in Kingston. I just moved here and I said, well, I've got a place for you. I've got someone you need to meet. <laughs> and she came a couple of weeks ago, walked in here, and her life was transformed. She said she's never experienced anything like it because of Jesus. But are we willing to just inconvenience ourselves for a moment instead of rushing through that, that checkout and saying, wait a minute, there's a divine appointment right here. Her name is Sarah. And God's been dreaming about Sarah. God's been thinking about Sarah. God's been thinking, how can I get somebody in her path to tell her that there's more? This time it was me, but it could be you. It should be you, in fact. All of us. We don't even know who God's going to put on our path, but he does. So remember the person. If you guys want to come up and get ready for communion, I want to end with a story. It's from John chapter 4. Jesus meets this woman at a well. And he is, um, he is coming there. Uh, there's a woman who is a Samaritan woman. She's rejected, completely rejected by everyone in her community, so much so that she goes in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, to gather water because no one will associate with her. She's an outcast. She's someone you didn't talk to. She was living in blatant sin. People judged her for it. And here's Jesus. He goes, I'm going to talk to her. And so he comes, and he starts engaging this conversation, much to the disciples' dismay, who, by the way, walked right past her on the way there and missed her. 
But Jesus says, I know that there's something inside of her. So guess what he does? He speaks her language. So hey, uh, you're here to draw water. He talks about her circumstance. He talks about her life. He engages conversation in her language that she can get. And he says, can you give me a, a cup of water? And she does. And then he says, well, we're on the topic of water. How would you like to have water that will quench your thirst forever? She goes, oh, I would love not to walk this walk every day with my bucket. Tell me where it is, and I'll go find it. And he goes, no, no, no. It's a different kind of water. It's a water that will change and transform your life. And he starts speaking right into her situation, saying, I know you're living in sin. I know you're in despair. I know you have broken relationships. But let me tell you that if you come to me and drink from the well that will never run dry, you will never, ever thirst again. And so he shares with her this news, and she says, I want that. And so he shares that news with her. She takes it. She literally, the Bible says, she runs back to her city, the people that rejected her, the people that didn't want to be with her. And she starts telling me, come and see, there's a man over here that told me everything I ever did, and yet he loves me anyways. That's Jesus. You know what he did that day? He came in between. He came in between the people that rejected her. And he stood as a buffer. For those of you who, uh, who know Jeff Evans, it's his job to stand in between. His job as a professional, as a military police, is to come in between the place of danger and the person. And what we do as Christians so many times is we watch people, it's like firefighters, they would never stand and watch a burning building and go, well, that's too bad. They get right in there between the fire and the flames and the people, and then they do whatever it takes to drag them out. There's a, there's a clip uh, from whatever, whenever it was, Ronald Reagan, uh, one of the assassination attempts. There's someone that goes to shoot him, and you will see his bodyguard that literally jumps out like this in front of him, takes the shot. Ronald Reagan survives. The bodyguard did survive, but he was wounded. And there's this clip. You can watch it. They watch it from what I hear in police training as well to teach you that your instinct needs to be to go in between. It's called spread eagle. That's Jeff's job. He knows all about it. If you observe him, he is all about, I'm going to keep people safe. I'm going to step in between. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But can I say this? There's someone 2,000 years ago that's spread eagle for us. And he was inconvenienced. He was shamed. He was misunderstood. And while hanging on that cross, people mocked him. And in the midst of mocking him, he says, God, even those people, can I stand in between? Forgive them. The people that mocked him, as if it wasn't enough to beat him, scorching him, hang him there. Now he's pleading with God for their lives, saying, God, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. I'm going to stand in between. Would you stand in between? Would you go tell someone? that there's more. God wants to use you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.